You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to turn in your scriptures to Mark 12, where we're at. We were here last week and there was just too much. So we're, we're back again. Um, you know, you look up, think, this is probably some of the most preached on territory where we're at. So it's a bit daunting, but uh, um, nonetheless, we want to hear from God's Word. So Mark 12, verse 28 through 34, as you're getting there, I had two pictures last week from Madeline and Malachi. Well, Madeline was up here last week. And uh, so this week, Malachi, again, showing us through his images here where we were. The the scribe was asking, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says to him, you are right. We're going to look at that a little bit here more today. Let's look to God's word. Let's read it together. Listen to what he has to say. Well, I'll read the passage again for us. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let me pray for us again. Lord, again, um, Familiar words of loving you and loving our neighbor. So familiar we're tempted to brush by. Saying, yeah, we've, we've heard that before. Oh Lord, do a work in our time together. I'm asking selfishly for my own heart. I'm asking for the hearts of your people that are listening and looking into your word that you would do a work that we would be granted what you've commanded to love you, Lord, with everything. And then as we love you to love our neighbor, I pray for understanding. I pray for conviction and hope, Lord, hope of the gospel throughout of a Savior who gave it all, his life, that we might be freed, who loved us, that we might love one another. So, Lord, strengthen us in this time together. May your spirit work amongst us to glorify Jesus Christ and may our lives glorify you. So, Challenge us, Lord. Convict us, comfort us, and work through our time. We're asking in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this Memorial Day is in the very word memorial to remember. Remembering those who laid down their lives that we might live in freedom. As we think closer today, uh, having looked last week at loving God, 
with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, really? What's that all? It's all to say everything we have is to love the Lord. We focus now this week on the second uh, greatest command here, with the first, this command of loving your neighbor as yourself. Stories like the one I'm about to read here, I think, give us an idea. They give us a modern-day picture of what it looks like to love our neighbor. So I'm going to read you one. It's the story of Staff Sergeant Robert Miller. I've got his picture, I think, in here. There he is. Uh, Don't know if you've ever heard of him. Maybe not. I'd never have. But he's one of many recipients, right, of the Congressional Medal of Honor. This one happened to be in the war in Afghanistan. And let me just read you some of his story. It says, Robert J. Miller... This is kind of from the, I think, from the honoring of him with this medal. Robert J. Miller distinguished himself by extraordinary acts of heroism while serving as the weapons sergeant in Special Forces Operational Detachment Alpha 3312, Special Operations Task Force 33, Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force Afghanistan, during combat operations against an armed enemy in the Kunar province. Afghanistan. This was January 25th, 2008. While conducting a combat uh, reconnaissance patrol through the Gowardesh Valley, Staff Sergeant Miller and his small uh, element of U.S. and Afghan National Army soldiers engaged a force of 15 to 20 insurgents occupying prepared fighting positions. Staff Sergeant Miller initiated the assault by engaging the enemy positions with his vehicle's turret-mounted Mark 19 40mm automatic grenade launcher, while simultaneously providing detailed descriptions of the enemy positions to his command, enabling effective, accurate, close air support. Following the engagement, Staff Sergeant Miller led a small squad forward to conduct a battle damage assessment. As the group neared the small, steep, narrow valley that the enemy had inhabited, a large, well-coordinated insurgent force initiated a near ambush, assaulting from elevated positions with ample cover. Exposed and with little available cover, the patrol was totally vulnerable to enemy rocket-propelled grenades and automatic weapon fire. As point man... Staff Sergeant Miller was at the front of the patrol, cut off from supporting elements and less than 20 meters from enemy forces. Nonetheless, with total disregard for his own safety, he called for his men to quickly move back to covered positions as he charged the enemy over exposed ground and under overwhelming enemy fire in order to provide protective fire for his team. While maneuvering to engage the enemy, Staff Sergeant Miller was shot in his upper torso. Ignoring the wound, he continued to push the fight, moving to draw fire from over 100 enemy fighters upon himself. He then again charged forward through an open area in order to allow his teammates to safely reach cover. What Sergeant Miller did, along with countless other soldiers and similar stories of heroism, is to give us a picture 
of this self-sacrifice, this care for the needs of another above our own. We in Christ have a great commander, don't we? And His call on our lives is to love one another. And in the case of Christ, He's gone ahead as the foremost example of what it means to love. And as we've, this example of Sergeant Miller. We're going to pick back up in our text at verse 31, kind of midway as we left it. And Jesus gives here this second most important commandment. He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now Jesus here, as we looked at last week, having quoted the Shema, do you remember that Hebrew name of this this Deuteronomy um, 6 passage we looked at, uh, this hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, love Him with everything. Uh, This now, where Jesus takes us in verse 31, is really coming from Leviticus 19. And I'd like you just to turn there to see it. Um, Because Jesus is combining these two together. So head back to your Old Testament, find the book of Leviticus, and then find chapter 19. Chapter 19, and it's verse um, 18 is what I'm going to read from. So Leviticus 19, 18. The context in this chapter is really acting in ways that honor. This is to Israel. So how do you honor your own brothers, your own people? And here's what Leviticus 19, 18 says. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall, and here's the wording of the day you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. However, later on in this same chapter, there's even more for this Israelite to love. So the neighbor, yes, your own people, love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then it goes on. Look at verse uh, 33, same chapter. Because there's a call here for the Israelite to love the stranger that sojourns with you. Look at 33 and 34, same chapter. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So there's love for neighbor and there's love for stranger here. But as we look back in Mark twelve thirty one, 31, uh, and we're thinking about this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, thinking about what neighbor, who, what fills us in. You might remember, and we don't have time to get into the, there's the other parable you could read with the Good Samaritan, where the, the one asks, Lord, who is my neighbor, trying to justify himself. But I think we'd be wrong to conclude the neighbor we're to love is just simply one of us, just in this Room. That's the neighbor. Otherwise, eh, come and go. This is neighbor. No, we're, we're to love. Yes, our Christian brother and sister. Each one of us. Those gathered in this room. Some are not here. They're on vacation. They're out or they're sick or wherever. We're to love one another. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We'll talk about that. But I think it goes beyond that. We're to love, I think, literally our neighborhood. You live in a neighborhood, even in the country. Neighborhood, love your neighbor. But Jesus goes beyond that. Luke six twenty seven through 28. You can write it down, but we're to love our very enemy. 
He says this, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And Jesus explains why in that verse. He says, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So we love and we care and we show mercy to our own brothers and sisters in Christ, to our neighborhood, to our very enemies, because if you are in Christ, you have a Father who first loves you in this way. When we were rebels. But then in verse 31, and I alluded to this in Mark, he answers how we're to love. We're to love your neighbor how? As, the little word as helps us, as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The way in which you love you is how you are to love others. I don't think, and there's, there's other conversations of this, I don't think Jesus is teaching here a preeminent love of self and then you can love others. Just, just love yourself more and then you'll love others. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's, he's drawing on a universal characteristic we love ourselves. We love ourselves a lot, naturally. I think it's just part, it's part of who we are. Of course, and the sin curse taints all that. It's what we do. But it's tainted the self-love to the degree that we put ourselves above others. And in our context, we love us more than we love God. So, Thinking in the context of this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We learn here, this is not a love for a neighbor like buy a card for them, take them out to eat, that type of love. It's it's a radical type of love for your neighbor, your brother, your sister in Christ. Dare say an enemy. To love them to the degree we love ourselves. There's a quote in a book on Biblical Ethics, written by Robertson McQuilkin, and he, he quotes John Piper in this book, and I want to read this, this quote to you in talking about this verse. It says, quote, Our Lord is aiming to call into being loving, compassionate, merciful men and women whose hearts summon them irresistibly into action when there is suffering within, within their reach. I just add, remember Sergeant Miller? And his, there was an irresistible, it's, he's called into action. There is suffering, he's going forward to do it. Back to the quote. And to that end, he demands that they again and again ask themselves this question. Here's the question he's asking here, loving our neighbor. What's the call? Here's the question Am I desiring and seeking the temporal or the temporal and eternal good of my neighbor? with the same zeal, ingenuity, and perseverance with which I seek my own. Let me read that question one more time. Am I desiring and seeking the temporal and eternal good of my neighbor with the same zeal, ingenuity, and perseverance with which I seek my own? It's this radical type of love that we celebrate this weekend, this Memorial Day weekend, when we remember soldiers who have fallen who've given their lives for another. It's others above self. Something in us admires this self, 
sacrifice. It's what, if it's going to be a good movie, it's, pro, it's most likely, if not 100%, going to have this message in it. This idea of a sacrifice for the good of others or this self-sacrifice idea. We celebrate it in heroes. And I, I think because it's tied to the greatest story, this gospel story of Jesus, the greatest hero who gave all that others might live, who, whose loving sacrifice was for sinners. So in Christ, we see the greatest love, the sacrifice of life, dying for rebels that we in Christ might live for eternity with Him. Think of Mark 1045. He died, you know, that um, gave his life as a ransom for many. Uh, this Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, this ransom for many. It's what Christ did. So the gospel is really behind and empowering our love for neighbor or enemy. On our own, Romans 3 says, we all sin, we fall short of the glory of God, desiring our own glory. But in Christ, we behold glories. We've been talking about in Sunday school class. We're transformed by the Spirit to see a different sort of glory so that our ability to even love others comes from God and it's evidence of our relationship with Him. There's this connection. We talked a little bit about it last week of loving others and this love of God and our love towards God. So in this, we need to head to the book of 1 John. And I want you to turn there to the first chapter of 1 John. I'm going to do a bit of a whirlwind through 1 John, looking at a couple passages along the way. Here's the providentialness of of this, I think, and seeing God at work. If you've been reading through the Scriptures on a two-year plan, you just read 1 John this week. Uh, If not, if you're you're beyond, pick one up and uh, start in again. But you've been here in 1 John. And we want, just want to look at a few places in this as we think about, and I think John, it's, first John, it's all over the place, what this looks like, loving your neighbor and loving God and his love for us and what this looks like. So we begin in 1 John 1, just verses 5 through 6. Let me read that. 1 John chapter 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So God is light. In him there's no darkness. So fellowship with God is walking not in darkness, but in light. That's what. Paul encourages us, what we just read from Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy, walk in this light. Now look at chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, I'll read 9 through 11. This fellowship with God, this being in the light, not in darkness, here's what it says. I hope you're going to see these connections start. It says, whoever says he is in the light. You Christians say, I'm in the light, I believe, I'm a believer. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness 
and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the one who says he's in the light, the one who says, I love the Lord, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I worship with my uplifted hands, and yet he hates his brother or sister, is according to this, not in the light, but still in darkness. Let's keep going forward. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. We're just skimming over chapter 3, verse 14. Let me read through 18. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, now verse 16, here's by this. How do we know love? Here's how we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. There's the zinger. It's not word or talk. It's not proclaiming, I love you. I love the Lord. It's through my actions. It's through what I do that I show who I love. And regrettably, we often do not show who we love. You want assurance for you've passed from death to life? Look at your love for your brother. We know God's love abides in us when it flows out of us to others. His love for His creation becomes our love for His creation. There's one more here. 1 John chapter 4 then, uh, verse 19. Why do we love? 19, short verse, wonderful explanation why do you love why can you love what is the what is the gospel hope of this verse 19 we love because he first loved us we are going nowhere without his love for us zero verse 20 if anyone says and here we go <laughs> if anyone says i love god and he hates his brother he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. May God grant what he commands here in this passage. And it's verse 19 that answers, we love because he's loved us. Our love for God is seen in our love for people. In other words, I think our love for others, it's a barometer, it's a, it's a thermos, it's a, it's a measuring stick of what our love for the Lord looks like. And so this love, according to 1 John, it's tied, though, to God's love for us and our loving God, which really comes from a heart reborn. We have not this ability the way we're born in sin unless God does a work on the heart and we're born as children of God to love Him born away from loving self most of all, to loving Jesus as our treasure, to seeing Him, and then that flowing out in love to one another. 
Heading back to our text here in Mark. To love is, as the scribe uh, affirms here, it's more than sacrifice. Look at, back at Mark 12, 32 through 33. I'm not going to take a lot of time because really the scribe just repeats back and he says, you're right, I'm in agreement. I like what you're saying in a sense. And here's verse 32 and 33. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one. There's no other besides him. Verse 33, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The scribe here repeats what Jesus has said. And then he he just simply echoes passages from the Old Testament that bring to light this, this obedience, this heartfelt worship, this walking with God as more than mere just rote burnt offering and sacrifice. There's one passage that came across in Amos You don't have to go there. I'll just read it to you. But Amos chapter 5. We don't quote a lot from Amos. um, But I hope you hear this and take it personally. Here's what God says to Israel in the book of Amos. It's chapter 5, 21 through 24. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Yikes. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Then he says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The call here in Amos is to a people that has forgotten their God. They've forgotten, they failed to worship Him in our context, to love Him with everything. And they've made other images to worship. Their actions are speaking louder than their sacrifices. It's like what we study back in chapter 7 of Mark when Jesus spoke to those Pharisees where He says, this people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. May we be a people. It, it touched me. We're a people. We still assemble. This is an assembly. We still make music and sing. But may we not be a people who only assemble and make offerings and, sin, and sing, but be a people known, known for our sacrificial love for one another and for those outside the walls of this church. That, that we would be known. We have great music, great singing here a great place to gather, but that we'd be known for that kind of sacrificial type love. Well, this account with the scribe concludes in verse 34. I'll just share a couple things from here. Verse 34 says, And when Jesus saw that he, the scribe, answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The scribe has answered wisely, according to Jesus. And and here's where Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. I think we see there's a certain, as I mentioned last week, there's a certain closeness in this scribe. He saw Jesus answer the Sadducees, saw him answer well. 
and comes up to him and he even declares, as we read today, you're right, teacher, or you have truly said. In other words, what you've said is good. I agree. I like what I'm hearing, maybe. You almost get a sense of the excitement in the voice of this scribe as he's here with Jesus. And there is a difference between this and anybody else that's in our section here that has come up before Jesus. We have not heard things like this, this reaction. So Jesus says, you're not far. I think we need to remember in this that any nearness to Jesus, even this scribe, is by the grace of God. But ultimately, we're not told, did he, did he finally enter? Did he enter the kingdom? He's not far. How close can you be? Kind of can you have a toe? How what closeness? We're not. We're just not told. So our question is: what, what what would have brought him into the kingdom? To be more than just near, to be in the kingdom. I think Scripture answers, and I preface this with the words: "By God's grace, for by grace we're saved." Right? By God's grace, repentance and belief. Jesus said in the beginning of Mark, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In our text, really for the scribe, and if you read closely here, this scribe, um, he's answering kind of in the third person. He's saying, you know, you're right. uh, For someone to love God with all his heart, that's good. And, And for someone to love his neighbor is good. I'm thinking here's what brings this one to the kingdom is for him, this scribe himself, to look at Jesus and to bow and say, I love you, Lord. I want to love my neighbor. I repent. I have not loved. I've loved other things. I repent and I look to you in belief. You are the Christ, the Messiah. So, we're just guessing a little bit here, speculation of his response and kind of this, it's a good response. Jesus says, you're, you're not far. I'm just struggling to see it's, it's his personal. I mean, I think it's personal, but he's not yet all the way. James 4, 8 through 10, we're told this. It says, draw near to God. Thinking of near and far. Um, I didn't know how to work it. It's just hard to, yeah, I'm going to move on. Draw near to God. I'm not going to go that, down that road that uh, just crossed my mind. Never mind. Sorry. Let me read James 4, 8 through 10. We're told this. Here's God's word. That's much better to listen to. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And be near to God. Repent. goes on to say, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Again, responding to the work of the Spirit in the heart, one enters the kingdom by repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So after this, no one dares ask Him any more questions. Um, Perhaps nobody else wanted to draw near. Maybe they didn't want to, like, boy, after so many well-answered questions, Mark's just kind of like, nobody else dared. It's like he had all the contradictions, all the questions Jesus answered well. Maybe others, they didn't want to be associated with this one. 
But let me close our time with taking us back to the rest of the story of the Staff Sergeant Robert Miller charging ahead and his modern-day example to us, charging ahead so that the rest of his team could be safe. Here's how it, at least this commendation of him ends. He was in the fight. Remember all these enemies drawing towards him. It says, after killing at least ten insurgents, wounding dozens more, and repeatedly exposing himself to withering enemy fire while moving from position to position, Staff Sergeant Miller was mortally wounded by enemy fire. His extraordinary valor ultimately saved the lives of seven members of his own team and 15 Afghanistan National Army soldiers. His life gave up to save 22 others. Staff Sergeant Miller's heroism and selflessness above and beyond the call of duty and at the cost of his own life are in keeping with the highest traditions of military service and reflect great credit upon himself and the United States Army. Let me just ask, is this what your love for your neighbor, your family, your brother and sister in Christ, your enemy looks like? Does it look like a Sergeant Miller type love? Let's just raise it. Does it look like a Christ-sacrificing love for enemies? We honor Sergeant Miller and what he did. And, what, and then we elevate and say, look at what Christ did. He went to a cross and he died there and shed his blood and suffered all these things, not for people who would praise him right there, for enemies, for rebels who were against him. That's the kind of love he showed. And it's the call on our lives. The same sacrificial love. And it's connected, this love for others is connected with our love for God. It's not separate from that. Let me speak to you who have failed in both. Perhaps not loving one another or loving God. Let me just encourage you. Because we can hear a message, we can hear these words. How do I... Man, he hates his brother. He's not abiding. I give, I don't know, is to not run away from the grace of God, but to run to the grace of God, to run to the cross and humble yourself that he might exalt you. To run to Jesus, not running further away, running towards him, falling before him, saying, change my heart, Lord. Grant me what you're commanding. Lord, I see you. I see I need to love you with everything and I'm looking around at my love and it's failing often. Lord, help me to love you. Help me to understand your love for me on the cross that I might love others. So if we're struggling, even paralyzed in our love of others then, thinking horizontally, the question is to myself and to you, what is your relationship with God like? May we be overwhelmed with His mercy and grace and love for us sinners and then show that mercy and grace and love to fellow sinners who need to see the Savior. We are a bunch of sinners in this room. We're saved by grace. Hallelujah. And His Spirit is working in us. I as a pastor will fail you often. You will fail me. We will fail each other 
That's Jesus came to die to sacrifice for sinners. The call is to love one another and that people would know. Kind of a, it's almost a side effect. We love, he's commanded for his glory, but that others may know we're disciples of Christ because we love. Why? Those people are loving. They love each other. They love me. I've cursed them. They keep loving me. What is going on? And that through that, they don't say, wow, what a great church. What a great Bethany. They're just really doing awesome. No, they say, what, what kind of Savior is this? What kind of, what kind of Christ, what kind of God do they serve? And may they see Christ in us. 1 John 3.16, kind of fitting. It's 3.16. It's in 1 John, though. By this we know love, that He, that is Jesus, laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I'm going to ask us just to pray here. If you, um, I don't want this to go by. Sometimes we can just pray and be done. We're moving on. I want to just take uh, a couple minutes for you in your life. I don't know you who you're struggling to love. Be it the Lord, be it a neighbor, be it someone here in this room, be it someone on your block, someone from your past, someone you're dreading seeing, is to reflect on what we've studied here, on Jesus' words. Perhaps some confession is in order. Perhaps some pleading for mercy. Perhaps some humbleness. I just want to give you a chance to talk to the Lord about that, and then I'll close this here. Father, we uh, come to you this morning and ask for your mercy and grace to work in us a love for you and a love for one another that is totally unlike the world, that is Christ-infused. Lord, it's wonderful to hear some of these kids even laughing in here. We've got children amongst us as a portrait of us to be little children to cry out to you, to say, Lord, we're, we're a lot weaker than we thought. We are powerless without your Spirit to give us eyes to behold the glory of Christ and to live in Christ-likeness to one another. Lord, we cannot go down this road in our own strength and in what we do and trusting that we'll just get it done. We need you. So, Father, we're praying as a body of Christ. Lord, send your mercy and grace and your love 
May we know the gospel and your love for sinners such as us so much more that we must show that love to others. Lord, guide each one of us. Guide each one of us in our separate dealings, in our separate neighbors, in our separate neighborhoods to demonstrate Christ's sacrificial love. Grant what you command, Lord. We see your word. It is good. May we delight in it. Lord, I pray for anyone thinking, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to run from this. It's impossible. Oh, Lord, it is. And may they run to Christ for your grace and mercy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.